0: And in 1998, get this, he had an affair. It's true, my investigators are looking into it right now. It was a woman, was a woman named Monica, very heavy. I don't have her last name yet, but when I get it, I'm gonna set my alarm for 3.20 a.m. and go sit on my golden toilet bowl and tweet about it until completion. Oh my God. Just just to remind everyone at home, this was the presidential debate. (laughs) Any final words? Live Live from from New York, York, it's it's Saturday Saturday Night Live! It's
1: Saturday Night Live! Live. Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. Tonight we'll be discussing the Season 42 premiere episode of Saturday Night Live with host Margot Robbie and musical guest The Weeknd. I'm John Murray, and joining me is Steve Finn. Steve is a comedy aficionado, award-winning improv performer, and the host of Transparency on CHMR 93.5 FM in St. John's, Newfoundland. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at TransparencyCHMR. And you can connect with us at SNLAfterparty.fm. All right, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, kick things off. We've got a new Trump stepping in for Daryl Hammond and we're going to go back to our tried and true formula of a presidential debate sketch. This is our first introduction to season 42. How do you feel it set off the show?
0: You know, I thought it was great. Uh, We got the new Trump right away, which we were all excited about. And it seems that's what they were marketing the most leading up to this new season. The fact that we have Alec Baldwin in that role. And, you know, it was, it was what the other impressions from Taryn and from Daryl have been missing is that bite that Trump has now, now that he's running for president that he didn't really have maybe 10 years ago. Sure. So I think this new updated impersonation is, is more fitting for the Trump that we have now running for president.
1: Yeah. Now, when we were talking about, uh, Daryl Hammond and his Trump in particular, when we were going over all the the summer news in our last cast. uh, We discussed a little bit about when the show brings in a ringer or brings in an alum to take on a big public figure when possibly people in the cast uh, might be missing an opportunity. Do you feel it was a smart move to bring in Alec Baldwin for the the immediate gratification of having a big name and, and a friend of the show kind of now become a season regular, or do you think they should have been trying to tap someone from the cast to take that on?
0: That's a good question. I know that Tina Fey was the Mm -hmm. one who had the idea to have Alec Baldwin. Right. And they seemed to listen to her. So that's what they went with. It's her, like, I guess Beck Bennett would be, the most obvious choice for someone within the cast, but it's hard to say like who would do the best Trump impression out of them. And would it be, I want to say good enough for the show. Sure. It's, it's hard to say without, without having examples to, to look at.
1: It's kind of interesting because Taron Killam would have been the obvious choice, but they parted ways with him. And so, It doesn't seem like, well, I guess, you know, we can't really say because we haven't seen any of their impressions, but it doesn't seem like there's any cast member that is an obvious fit for the role. So it is just kind of funny that they let go of a performer who could have played the part. And now they're bringing in someone to fill that role. So I don't, I'm not really sure what the thinking process was leading up to it. And I wonder if maybe they kind of already knew that they had Alec Baldwin queued up when they made the decision that maybe they didn't need Taryn moving forward. Right. It'd be nice to know how all that played out behind the scenes, but for what it's worth, his impression is pretty solid and he does manage to bring humor to it. It's not just an impersonation. It is uh, a very good, caricature of Trump that hits all the right kind of beats. So he's definitely a strong choice. Uh, We'll just never know what, you know, the cast could have brought (laughs) if if Alec Baldwin had declined the offer. So who knows, but we see Alec Baldwin for the first time in the role of Trump, the actual cold open, did it hold together? Like, was it funny? Did you even know uh, a lot of what they were riffing on from the actual debate?
0: Uh, Yeah, I did watch the debate. So I picked up everything they were basically parodying. So were they hitting all the right beats? Like, was it sharp? Was it smart? Or was it
1: just kind of easy? Uh,
0: a lot of it was easy. A lot of it was just pretty much mimicking what happened in the, in the debate. that little, who that shaky kind of mm-hmm. let's get this yep. going. Uh, moment that was taken right from the debate.
1: <laughs> I can be fun. I can be hip.
0: <laughs> yeah. Look at me. loosey goosey.
1: Yeah.
0: I, I liked how they, uh, they poked fun at Trump repeating the word wrong over and over. Mm, yeah. <laughs> talking over Hillary. Yeah. They they used that to make a pretty good formula for a joke. So it was it was taking the source material and creating good, you know, decent comedy out of it. So yep. it's a it's a win for me. Plus, there was a nice little tribute to Gene Wilder in the beginning, who we lost over the summer.
1: Do you wanna lay that out for our listeners?
0: Well, yeah, if, if anyone missed it, uh, they were kind of making a reference to Willy Wonka and the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Sorry. When we're introduced to that character in the movie, he comes out and he acts crippled and, and sickly and then does a tumble.
1: That's right. OK, see, I had heard that just floating around on Twitter or something. Someone made a reference that they were paying homage to Gene Wilder, but it went over my head because it made sense in the context, too, of Hillary wanting to convey the idea that she's not crippled or dying, which is the the current controversy of the week with her. So uh, yeah. yeah, went right over my head. So I'm glad that some people picked up on that.
0: But that was the beauty of it, that it was A, topical, and B, referencing a death of, of a loved celebrity, so.
1: Yeah, works on a few levels there. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, so one thing I noticed getting into the episode now, the title cards for the host and the musical guests they're animated now kind of like gifs or GIFs, depending on where you fall on that issue
0: yeah i made a note on that too
1: yeah i thought that was kind of cool that now that all the iphones do live photos and i'm assuming android does too that's kind of a a style that has matured and permeated our culture that now that's something that <laughs> uh, has made it into the the opening sequence of, of snl i mean that's this is very trivial territory that we're treading into. So let's move on to the monologue. Margot Robbie fact checks her own monologue and a parade of cast members come out to have a fun little interchange.
0: I thought it was smart and I'm willing to hazard a guess that this debate that just happened was probably the most fact checked debate in history <laughs> Sure. <laughs> of, of the presidential races. It's kind of hilarious to see what they try to get away with. Yeah telling very obvious lies that are documented. It's like they're counting on you not to f- be fact-checking basically. Right. That's the only way I can make sense of that tactic. So using that in the monologue, it was it was a pretty good riff on it and it, and they didn't directly tie it with the Trump and Hillary debate, but a lot of people recognized it from that well having
1: they they kind of did though because when she comes out she's like you know it's great being here in america to see your you know how you guys do elections it's it's crazy everybody's lying right so she did kind of preface it with that
0: that's true i forgot that yeah
1: but you're right it kind of stood on its own as a fun bit you know you didn't necessarily have to have seen the debates or be tuned in to the need (laughs) to be fact-checking the uh, almost blatant propaganda level of absurdity that the candidate's rhetoric is right now. Right. It was smart for the people that picked up on it, but it was also just a fun goof for the people that just took it for the straightforward bit that it was. The nice thing is the second that I was watching it, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Are they going to parade out every cast member to throw in a joke here? That's when they were smart enough to realize, oh, okay, no, no, let's not let it overstay. It's welcome. Let's tie this down now. So it just, it it exited right about the time when it was going to run out of steam. And I think that they, they, they played a nice balancing act with that.
0: I love that part so much though. Cause it was like, it was the first sight of most of the cast members. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's like seeing your old friends when you go back to school, you know, you haven't seen them all summer. Yep. I think the crowd was with me on that. Cause the audience was absolutely alive during that monologue.
1: Yeah. Leslie Jones, especially. Yeah. She got a big laugh.
0: Yeah. Well, she's had a rough summer, so it's good to to show some support for.
1: Let's talk about action. Nine news. Eye on Tampa.
0: I thought it was great. It was a funny concept, but what really sold it was the performance, especially by Keenan. Yeah. And it was nice to see Mikey day. uh, get his first real sketch on the show.
1: Yeah. Mikey day for the win. He kind of hit the ground running. He was sprinkled throughout the show in very prominent roles. And you could tell that he had a looseness of a seasoned performer about him. Like he seemed like a repertory player, not a featured player
0: for sure. And you know, it's probably because of that crash course we've had on uh, Maya and Marty. Mm -hmm. Plus he's been a, a writer for the show. He's, he used to write with Taryn a lot.
1: Yeah. So it's not like he's walking into 30 rock for the first time with stars in his eyes. he's, this is work. He knows what it's like to come in day one and bring your a game. And it's nice that he's getting a chance to come front and center because obviously he's a strong performer and that is a smart casting move on the show's part. Definitely. Happy to have him there. Yeah. And then we get our first pre-tape the librarian, which is Bobby Moynihan's fantasy crush gone horribly wrong.
0: (laughs) My reaction was not unlike the, uh, the male characters in the sketch itself, a lot of what the hell, you know, (laughs) a lot of, am I still watching Saturday night live right now? It was funny. And this is of course a perfect sketch to use Margot Robbie for, because she is known for being drop dead gorgeous. Right. Yeah. It was, it was just a really bizarre direction to take that sketch. And I love the way that they set up things that are, you know, You expect it to be hot and then it goes the wrong way. Like you think she's going to go in and kiss the girl, but she ends up breaking her neck. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's straight up murder. (laughs) By the way, I loved all the slow motion reactions. Yeah. The uh, slowed down voices. Mm -hmm. It added an an extra punch to, to the jokes there. Bringing in that
1: song, that kind of quintessential like boy fantasy song from all the 80s movies. That was, I think the brilliance of the sketch. They probably started with that. They probably thought like, let's just, let's just do a subversion of that idea. You know, that raunchy teen comedy from the eighties <laughs> with that, with that song being the, uh, the crux of it. And then I think they just kept building on it and saying, how far can we push this? I thought it started out really strong. And I thought that Uh, the way that they built it up and then brought in the soundtrack and then lowered their voices and had everything going in slow motion. All of that was so strong. And on second rewatch, I liked the sketch end to end, but on first watch I was genuinely a little bit scared, like not like this is comedy scared, but like I kind of almost felt like I was watching a legitimately dark sort of horror (laughs)
0: horror it's piece a kind of david lynch short film
1: because they bring in the really like uh supernatural part of it so abruptly right like her hair's falling out so you're like oh i get it she's not that hot and these guys are slowly gonna have to come to the realization that this fantasy has gone wrong you know she's gonna keep getting uglier and uglier but then she doesn't just get uglier she gets Dark you know downright evil yeah so it, it was that moment when she snapped Cecily's neck that I'm like wait a minute this is you know there's there's absurd dark comedy and then there's like whoa You know, that there's just the jarring, take you out of the moment kind of level of abruptness. And so that's what hit me the first time and kind of pulled me out of it a bit. But then on second watch, because I knew that was coming and I could just take the piece as a whole and say, okay, now I know the conceit. I know where it's going. It became funnier on second watch. Hmm. It was a little more challenging for me just because of how hard it was to watch her get like almost demonic. (laughs) Right.
0: Right. The acid saliva that kind of made me huh, jump away a bit. Yeah. The tongue, the saliva,
1: the straight up murder, you know, like there, <laughs> yeah. there was just, they, they, it's just like they came at you from all angles. And when you're not expecting it, uh, the ride is fun, but it's not necessarily comedic fun. Sometimes it's just like, I'm on the edge of my seat wondering what I'm looking at kind of fun. Right. Yeah. So it was, it was definitely an experience. I'll, I'll give them that. Family feud, political edition, team Hillary versus team Trump.
0: i thought for a second, they were going to have another sketch featuring Trump and Hillary. I was like, wow, they're really Mm -hmm. going to saturate us with this Alec Baldwin guy, Daryl Hammond. We got to see him doing his Bill Clinton impression.
1: Yep. He's still in the mix for impressions when they need him. Just not Trump for the time being.
0: Right. I think we all expected to at least see him again as Bill.
1: Yeah. There's no reason to switch that up because it's not going to be like such a pivotal part of every show that, you know, it's consequential.
0: Yeah. He seemed a little bit low energy, like he was on benzodiazepines or something.
1: <laughs> I thought he was true to form because he just, I, I think the angle they were working for Clinton was he's cool. He doesn't have to be president. He's got no stakes in this. He's just happy to get back to the white house and get back to chase and tail. <laughs> okay. So. My thoughts, pretty straightforward. Uh, an opportunity for some of the new featured players to get out an impression or two and, and get them in the mix with a pretty easy setup that's tried and true. Kenan Thompson, always funny as Steve Harvey because he gets to be the foil. He gets to be the one who points out all the stupidity of the people around him. Kind of kind of like Jeopardy, but where he's above the joke. He's not the butt of it. So that, that's always a fun setup as well. Uh, Melissa... Via Senor, I think this might have been her only screen time tonight.
0: It was her, uh, her one and only appearance. And, uh, what we were talking about it, about how you can't just have impressions in your toolbox, right? You have to have something else to draw from. And she hasn't proved otherwise, uh, with this first episode.
1: Yep. She's still a wild card because this was an impression that she's been crafting for years. Great that they found a way to shoehorn it in, but it doesn't say star (laughs) yet.
0: Right. With newer cast members, I feel they go out of their way to try and give them screen time right off the bat, just so we get introduced to them. And usually you see kind of a slump in their appearances after.
1: Yeah, they want to let them put their best foot forward and get out some of the material that maybe they did in their audition or that they've been crafting. Like if they have a strong thing to bring to the show, they want to give them a chance to showcase it as soon as possible. You're right. The real telling thing is mid season. Are we still seeing them or are they out of steam? So that's, that's where uh, we wait and see (laughs) anything else to say about family feud.
0: I will say Larry David seems to be spending an awful lot of time in New York.
1: Yeah. You know what? I think this was a misstep. I think pushing him in the elevator at the end of season 41 was the perfect way to say bye to Larry David.
0: Yeah. And then they bring him back the very next episode.
1: Yeah. And like, I understand it's the season premiere. So you want to just get the, the most, uh, celebrity infused show you possibly can for the premiere. I understand that, but it just seems like this wasn't something that he needed to be part of. I think he was just better being a story from season 41. Fair enough. Uh, Okay. So the weekend, he, uh, he performed two songs tonight. The first was Starboy. The second was false alarm. Uh, You are a little bit more tuned into what the kids are listening to than I am. So what was your thoughts on his performance?
0: I really enjoyed the performance. I was trying to tell if he was using a backing track Mm. as a lot of performers do these days to kind of beef up your voice. I think he was on his own out there, which is a testament to his his talent.
1: But the actual songs themselves, do they hold up?
0: Yeah, they're they're good songs. Uh, I guess it was mostly electronic. I didn't see a, a backup band really, except for a couple of. He did. He did. Maybe keyboardists. Really?
1: Yeah. No, he had a live drum set back there. He had a he had all live. People, I couldn't tell exactly what instrumentation and, and what hardware they had back there because they intentionally darkened the back of the set. And then they had that LED set up in front of the backing band. So everything about what you were seeing was blown out in front so that he was the focus with the smoke and everything. And then they were basically off in the shadows, but they were there.
0: They were definitely there. That effect with the smoke and overexposing it. So it's all of this billowing blown out whiteness. Right. Such an amazing visual. I really like the set design.
1: Yeah, it's cool. When you see that on TV... It, it feels a lot more expansive and immersive than when you see it in studio eight H. Cause that little cubby that they jam the performers into is not an amazing performance space. It is very much just a little box. Right. <laughs> and uh, it's amazing what you can do when you can frame the camera, right. And just use everything at your disposal to make it grander than it actually is. So. <laughs> My only other thought on the weekend is just uh, dude can sing. This episode of the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast is brought to you by the fine folks over at Roveco, makers of my favorite kitchen tool, the Super Bassomatic 76. So, let me tell you a little bit about why the Bassomatic is so awesome. Now, we all know that doctors recommend that we eat at least six raw fish each day if we want to be healthy. But with our hectic schedules, who's got time to scale and gut six fish? Let alone your typical working mother of 12 who'd have to clean and debone over 80 fish every day just to feed her family. That's where the Super Bassomatic comes in. It quickly and effortlessly liquefies dozens of fish in a matter of seconds, allowing you to drink your entire daily recommended amount of raw fish in just one quick sitting. You can literally roll out of bed, whip out the Bassomatic and a bucket of live or recently caught fish, and be drinking a pitcher full of cool, delicious sea smoothie in less than the time it takes most people to cook a Pop Tart. Now, that's a fantastic and nutritious way to start your day. Once you start drinking raw fish, you'll wonder how you ever lived without it. Not only is it delicious and satisfying to throw back a thick, frothy mug of your favorite seafood puree, but you'll also notice an immediate improvement in your health and well-being. After only three days of drinking fish, I personally found that my skin regained a youthful, more oilier appearance. And let's just say my bathroom visits have become much more frequent. So don't think... Head over to Pier Twenty Five, New York, New York, and pick up your Super Bassomatic Seventy Six today. And our thanks to Rovco for sponsoring this episode of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. Weekend update: what, What's your takeaway from the opening salvo of Jost and Che for season forty-two?
0: I did catch a bit of that conversational vibe mm-hmm. that they were using for the uh, the RNC and the DNC coverage. So it's nice to see them taking what worked from that and applying it to weekend update on the show itself. Right. The jokes were good. Yeah. You know, everybody's fresh. Nobody's tired yet. So the, the jokes are probably coming pretty fast and furious right now. Mm-hmm.
1: They seem to be having fun. The interplay back and forth was all good and as loose and comfortable as we've ever seen it. So it was nice to see that nothing got lost over the summer, that some of the momentum that they started building in the last half of last season, it really seems like they figured out how to tap into that consistently. They're learning how to play up each other's styles better so that even if a joke isn't super strong in its own, them batting it around and having fun with their characters with that material seems to be really gelling well.
0: Yeah. The rapport they have is... Almost like, you know, 60% of what they're doing Mm -hmm. and what's making it work.
1: Yeah. They needed to figure out how to find a a unique voice for their era. And I think they're there. I think this is as good as it's going to get. And I'm okay with that. I think this is definitely a weekend update that's worth tuning in for.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right. So first out of the gate, Cecily Strong as Kathy Ann. Uh, As far as I can tell, a new character.
0: A new update character. She's been in sketches. Really? That character.
1: You refresh me. Cause I can't put my finger on it.
0: I think they did two sketches with her and they just paired her up with, uh, you know, mystical storybook <laughs> characters. It was a weird concept for a sketch, but so- they, it, it like- ended up being recurring. Okay. I don't know
1: why that is not ringing a bell for me. Do we want to see her back at weekend update or is this better as a one-off?
0: I don't need to see her back it seemed to work like within the studio with the audience and all that.
1: It could have also been that you had a really jazzed audience too, right? Yeah. She may have just been riding that wave (laughs) of enthusiasm. The one thing that I noticed about the character is, is it was kind of hard to follow her when she's talking because she's got that slack on her voice and she's really kind of like mush mouthing a lot of her words. Right, I found that there was a few jokes that I didn't pick up on until second watch just because it was hard to parse and keep up David Ortiz, Big Poppy is back, your favorite.
0: you know how I feel about Big Poppy,
1: yeah, you can't go wrong with Big Poppy, but it really is just an opportunity for Keenan to
0: do what Keenan do. I'm assuming you were happy to see Big Poppy to me. What's becoming more and more funny it's how David Ortiz can take any conversation. And lead it back to lunch. (laughs) You could ask him something completely unrelated and he'll somehow, you know, create a trail that leads back to talking about food.
1: Yeah, it's, it's fun. This is not a deep sketch. It really is just much in the same way that Stefan could come back a million times and it would rarely ever feel old. I think this is one of those situations. They don't have to reinvent it. They don't have to try and ascend it or take it in new directions. Just. Keep doing what you're doing and we'll always get a a laugh out of it.
0: I'm going to make a prediction right here. Mm -hmm. The next time we see Keenan do David Ortiz. Yep. We're going to get a cameo from the real David Ortiz.
1: Ah, we're going to get a sneaker upper.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which they like to do.
1: Well, you've put this down in the podcast for all to hear. So we'll see how it goes. (laughs) But if it doesn't happen, well, you're going to hear about it. (laughs) (laughs) Back half of the show, the hunch bunch. I'm grinning just thinking about it.
0: Did you think this sketch worked? Yeah, I guess this is what you would call the Scooby-Doo gang. If there was no Scooby-Doo.
1: It, it hit all of the classic beats of a Scooby-Doo episode. Yeah. Aside from the, you know, murder.
0: Yeah. Kyle did a really good Casey Kasem. D- oh, no, 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 no. He's doing Shaggy. You do realize that Casey Kasem did the voice of Shaggy.
1: Okay. Now I feel stupid.
0: <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Casey Kasem was shaggy. I'm Casey Kasem. This, this very same.
1: <laughs> I thought I was schooling you by being like, no, no, you don't know your Scooby-Doo characters. <laughs> <laughs> I know the characters and the actors that portray them. <laughs> Do you think they found all the jokes? Do you think they took it in the right direction? Was this a win?
0: This was a win. Mm-hmm. It's more of a recovery win after the not so great Derek, the real sketch. Yeah. I felt Denny, that Denny, Denny, the real Denny. Yeah. Denny yeah. You
1: got, real. you got to know your, um, poo spoof characters. I'm sorry. You just, sometimes you just don't have the background knowledge to be able to comment on these
0: things. Yeah, Steve. Clearly this is my last <laughs> podcast.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. The character has to be able to turn the concept on its head, not just be an annoyance in the middle of something that stays sort of true to form. Right. And in this one, that's what they got right. Margot Robbie's character ends up completely derailing it and devastating the hunch bunch, right? Like, the hunch bunch is no more after this. <laughs> they are all going to prison. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> deep thoughts with, oh no, not deep thoughts, Melania
0: moments. Reminiscent of deep thoughts.
1: Yes. Do you think that was conscious? Do you think they were intentionally giving it that videotape look that nostalgic quality to channel deep thoughts? Or do you think that this was a completely unique premise?
0: I just think there's both spoofs of the same type of television spots. So there would be similarities that you'd see, Yeah, but I don't think it's a direct reference.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I think you could be right on that.
0: But save we found out Jack Handy wrote that, you know, maybe, maybe there is some truth to that, but I doubt it.
1: I wonder if this is going to be something we see throughout the season, right? As long as Trump is part of the news cycle and part of the conversation, I wonder if showing how sort of like out of touch and disconnected, uh, his pampered family is, if that's going to be something they continue to mine in these little like 15 second nuggets.
0: Right. I would like to show that to like very affluent people and see if they just start nodding their head in agreement.
1: Yeah. They're like, I've, I've asked myself the same question. Yeah. It's like, whoa.
0: I'm not alone out there with these
1: thoughts. (laughs) So 2016 New York Film Festival Women's Roundtable. I know exactly what you're going to say about this
0: sketch. (laughs) Do you? What am I going to say?
1: You are going to say this is out-of-body experience, alien abduction at a roundtable.
0: Yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah. It's basically the same idea of well, I didn't really have the same experience as you did. Yeah. Uh, here's how mine differs in a hilarious way. And you know what?
1: It worked. At least I thought it worked. What do you think?
0: I thought it was uh, pretty good. And I agree with the overall message because one thing I, I get really annoyed about hearing in the news is famous Hollywood actresses complaining about <laughs> not getting enough millions of dollars. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I think that was definitely
1: in there. I don't think that their intention with the sketch was to hit that really hard, but you can't help but make that point because there is some truth to the absurdity of her story. I thought that Kate McKinnon just continues to show that if you put her in a wig and let her just sit there and be funny, she'll nail it every time. Yeah. Now, our 10 to 1 is a pre-tape and it is... Uh, Leslie Jones appealing to the guy from Mr. Robot to help her get to the bottom of her photo hacking situation. Yeah. Do you think it was a smart idea for them to take something from Leslie's private life and throw it up there to be
0: sketched? I mean, I was expecting it to be touched upon. You know, she made a point to tell everyone on Twitter that she was doing fine and it wasn't, Crushing her spirits, what happened, although it it did suck. Right. So, you know, you kind of have to address it. And uh, if you don't follow her on Twitter, it's good to see that, you know, she's able to joke about it.
1: Right. Pete Davidson does an uncanny version of the lead in that show. They both have a very similar look and they were able to really play that up. Oh, that's good. And for what it's worth, Pete Davidson, who we always kind of assumed has limited range, he's kind of there more to be the goofy, fun, young member of the cast and not a whole lot is expected of him as far as acting chops. But again, in this pre-tape, kind of similar to some of the high watermarks from season 41, he shows that he's got a little more game than maybe we realized. I think he was able to channel this character surprisingly well.
0: Yeah. And that's going to give him more confidence. We can only uh, assume that we'll see him continue to grow and evolve as a performer. I mean, he's at such an advantage of being so young mm-hmm. and already making it this far. I hated him before I ever saw his face. Yeah. Cause I, I learned how old he was Yeah, <laughs> and I was just like, oh, what am I doing with my life? Yep.
1: I have absolutely no rebuttal to that, so <laughs> we're just we're just going to let that hang in the air and make us all sort of uh, weep a solitary tear for our lost youth and potential. And with that said, let's talk a little bit about the high point or the best moment of the night. What made it for
0: you? High point, David Ortiz endorsing mints. That's my favorite. <laughs> That's my high point of the night.
1: Yeah. Five out of five dentists say, "Uh oh, (laughs) (laughs) the high point for me was the librarian pre-tape. And the reason is because even though it was jarring, even though it was weird, and even though it was a little bewildering on first watch, that in and of itself was at least the most powerful kind of like visceral emotional reaction I had for the evening. And that's, you know, that's got to count for something. So that's my moment of the night.
0: All right. Best overall sketch. Yeah, I'm going to go with Ion Tampa Action 9 News. Sure. Yeah, smart, quick, punchy. It did everything it was supposed to do. Showcase some new talent? Yeah,
1: if there is a takeaway from this show, it's how quickly Mikey Day kind of was able to ramp up and get into the fray. My best overall sketch. Hmm. I'm going to give it to Family feud, political edition. Okay. I don't know if that's the smartest sketch of the night, but uh, the Putin impression that Beck Bennett brings out, which I think clearly solidifies him as the show's leading man, Mikey Day and Alex Moffat and Melissa Villasenor all got a little bit of opportunity to put something forward in it. There was a lot of little important moments. So for that, it was an intriguing sketch to me. And I felt that I got more out of it than just your typical throwaway game show sketch. Fair enough. MVP.
0: Should we give it to Alec? Alec Baldwin? Uh, you can, (laughs) I got someone else in mind, but you can, there's no wrong answer. We have been teased for this, this new impression and, uh. Right. You know, it's going to be a recurring thing to see this finally introduced. I think it's, uh. I think it's fair to give it to Alec Baldwin just for showing up and doing Trump for the first time.
1: Fair enough. I'm going to give it to Mikey
0: Day. I had a feeling you would.
1: Yeah. My thinking is I would be willing to bet that a lot of what Mikey Day was in, he was probably involved in writing as well. And I just can't help but think that he probably dug deep and worked hard this week to try and find some really fun moments, not just to put his best foot forward, but just to put the show's best foot forward. Right. It's all total speculation. He could have showed up, you know, Saturday at eight o'clock for all I know. <laughs> okay. On a scale of classic, great, typical week or train wreck. How's this show shape up?
0: You know what? This might come to be known as a classic. Yeah. Especially, you know, if, if this election goes the wrong way, <laughs> we'll be looking back at this and be like, oh my God, those were the signs. Yeah plus if these new people work out and this is our first glimpses of like the next big stars, this could end up being a classic episode in the long run.
1: I don't think you're wrong. I think it could be. I was leaning more towards great, but the thing is, I think you made a pretty strong argument that with this being Alec Baldwin's debut as a quasi cast member, which is a first for the show, like that is a, a bold new strategy. (laughs) with the really strong new featured players who could be breakouts over the next couple of years with, with seeing them get off to a good start with solid writing end to end. The more I think about it, the more I think, yeah, this is one of the ones that in five years we'll be watching at 10 o'clock.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah.
1: So, you know what you, you won me over. I'm upgrading my vote from great to classic. I think this was as strong a season premiere as we've had in recent history. Yeah. Um, okay. So, I think that's a cast. Thanks to my guest, Steve Finn. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at TransparencyCHMR. And you can connect with us at SNLAfterparty.fm. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host Lin-Manuel Miranda and musical guest 21 Pilots. This has been episode number one of the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow
0: from us. Thank you. To <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> <During> the weekend. <laughs> Okay, uh, Neil, any sign of water damage down there? Oh, absolutely. Uh, if you could just pan down a little bit, Rick, you'll see that there's mud and, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> my shack is wearing Crocs and socks. it back to you in the studio.